Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project Podcast with Kareem Farah, Kate Gaskell, and me, Zach Diamond. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 46 of the Modern Classrooms Podcast. My name is Kate Gaskell, Director of Teaching and Learning here at the Modern Classrooms Project. And in this episode, we'll be talking about one of my favorite topics, classroom design and how we can set up our classroom in terms of the physical environment and the systems we build um, to enhance blended, self-paced, mastery-based learning for our students. And this is a timely topic for a few reasons. As teachers start looking towards a new school year, we inevitably start thinking about the physical classroom environment. And it's also timely because many educators will be entering the school building for the first time in several months since March of 2020 after teaching all these months remotely. Hundreds of modern classrooms teachers have never taught with the model in their physical classrooms, and we hear all the time about how many teachers are looking forward to doing this in person. So to talk about all of this and more, I am joined by new modern classroom full-time team member and proud former high school science teacher, Debbie Maynard. Debbie, welcome to the podcast. Hello, hello. Super happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about your career in education and how you came to teach with the modern classroom instructional model in your high school science classroom? Absolutely. Um, I think like many recent college grads, especially the ones today, um, I didn't quite know what I wanted to do post-graduation. So I took a gap year with AmeriCorps, AmeriCorps and Triple C, to be specific, if you're listening out there looking to do a gap year. And through AmeriCorps, I was able to spend time with my Black and Hispanic students, first-generation students all across the country, and being able to live in their communities and support them in their classrooms, it really kind of opened my eyes to um, how there are not a lot of teachers that look like them, um, and in particular, the dwindling number of teachers that are out there to be able to support specific classes like STEM um, in different parts of the country. So helping them with their science homework really sparked my interest in becoming a teacher. So I went to grad school, became a teacher, and I've been teaching in Virginia and D.C. for the last nine years. And while teaching in D.C., I heard about modern classrooms from a coworker. And since my students didn't have the best attendance rate and they all had a variety of science classroom exposure, uh, myself and a couple of other teachers decided that modern classrooms would be a great way to try and support our kids exactly where they're at. So supporting my students who are capable of doing AP bio assignments while supporting my students who may be on a second grade reading level all sitting in the same class. So it was really, really great to use, especially during the pandemic, to support my students individually and build their academic confidence back up while challenging them to reach new heights during the pandemic. Yeah, so much of my own experience just that that opportunity to meaningfully differentiate for that diverse group of learners. I, yes. I hear you completely. So let's, you know, I'm really happy. This is a topic. I know that we, we both have um, so many ideas and we love talking about classroom design, classroom systems. So let's start by acknowledging that teachers, 
even if they're not modern classrooms educators, they are very used to thinking through their classrooms as ecosystems. We, we think through how we can create environments that not only make students feel safe and supported, but also help facilitate authentic learning and inquiry and exploration. So Debbie, what did you do throughout your teaching career um, to ensure that your classroom space was this welcoming place where students could thrive academically and socially, emotionally? Oh, that's such a great question. Uh, my life goal was to become Miss Frizzle. That <laughs> I love that so much. So like everything I did to like build my classroom culture really was, what would Miss Frizzle do? Now I can't get a, a, a lizard, but like, what would Miss Frizzle do? So instead, you know, I try to make it my own. I would wear an Einstein wig and a tie-dyed lab coat. I'd sit on top of lab benches while teaching I, I suck at art. I am not an artist. I, even my stick figures kids make fun of. So my room decor was about 20%, you know, teacher posters you would get at conferences. But 80% of the things that I would hang up was all work from my students throughout the years. You know, things that they would sketch and they would draw and they would create to help them reflect on their thinking about a particular lesson. And so I really made the classroom their room. Um, and my kids love coming back later to kind of, you know, point out to the freshmen, like, yeah, that's my poster. That's my artwork. Use it to help you with this lesson. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so my room was just pretty much, I, I like to call my classroom like a, like a, a chill room to sound super corny, but you know, my room was always playing music loudly. Um, I hated silence. I hated silence. Um, you know, I'm like, guys talk, let me hear sounds. Let me know that you're here and you're collaborating. Um, I let kids eat in my room as long as they cleaned up after themselves. I even had snacks on deck to give to them. You know, we're sharing this space for the next 60 to 90 minutes. And I wanted my kids to feel just a modicum of good vibes when they entered the room, that this is uh, a space where you can come in and relax and feel okay to, to ask questions, even if you think they're ridiculous questions and to be okay to learn and make mistakes. And that was kind of like the, the vibe that I, I tried to instill in my classroom space. What would Frizzle do? What would Frizzle do? And, you know, I really want you, I just remember Miss Frizzle's purple dress with all the, you know, it was like a, a rocket and all yes. these, you know, all these like science clip art auto items on it. Um, so I really, really want you to be Miss Frizzle when here for Halloween, if you haven't already. Of course, Miss Frizzle from the Magic School Bus, if our listeners um, are unfamiliar Yes, I'm really dating myself here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You know, it's funny, this idea about being comfortable um, and uh, like sharing a space for the next you know, 60 to 90 minutes, however long that class period is. Um, it was it was always magnified to me the importance of this whenever I would have a district professional development day and I might need to do a, you know, um, a, a two hour professional development in one classroom. And then I might need to go to another classroom for a different portion of professional development. And I really, I empathized with the kids um, more than I think I would have otherwise, because, you know, it's like you get to a place and it's like, it's hard for me to see in here. The, you know, the lights are really bright or the chairs are hard or, you know, it, I kind of, I kind of started thinking through something similar in terms of, you know, if I feel comfortable in a space, you know, I think that I'm going to be more open and more receptive to taking a risk, to contributing uh, and to really, uh, 
engaging in, in anything that's going to happen in this space. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I teach science, I teach biology specifically, and I like to tell kids it's essentially a foreign language. You're learning Greek, you're learning Latin. And so that on top of the different science concepts that we're building on top of each other is already such a challenge for them, especially my freshmen. Um, and so, yeah, when that environment feels comfortable to be in, you're more likely to really contribute to your own learning and, you know, rise up to the challenges that occur in every lesson. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we certainly hope that the 2021-2022 school year has fewer disruptions and we can safely return to our physical school buildings. Uh, You know, of course, the, you know, we'll be talking about um, some suggestions and some tips that other modern classroom teachers have done in their setup. Uh, And it goes without saying that, of course, please adhere to the guidance that your school district and above all the CDC are setting out for our classrooms and safeties. Um, Some schools will be welcoming students back into the building who haven't physically stepped foot in that building for a year and a half, which is crazy to me. You know, it's, I, I, I think about like, let's, let's just talk about the middle school environment for a second, which is, you know, such an interesting and vulnerable time. We will have seventh graders who are walking in who have never been in that school. Um, We'll have eighth graders who haven't been there since they were a sixth grader. These stories are just being, you know, replicated throughout the country with elementary schools, high schools. So Debbie, what do you think, challenges, uh, what do you think are the challenges that schools will face in light of this reality that they haven't had kids in the building for a, you know almost a year and a half? And what opportunities do you think those schools have? That's, yeah, I, you know, I teach the big kids, I teach nine through 12. And so, you know, one of the challenges that I think for myself is attendance, which is already a tough, tough thing, you know, before the pandemic. I, personally had a lot of kids who in that year and a half took that time to pick up jobs to support their families, you know, kind of worked on their time management skill to be able to do outside school activities while doing their work virtually online and not really going to virtual class. Um, Or, you know, picking up the, the slack at home, the responsibility at home of minding their siblings while parents work double shifts. So virtual learning really allowed them the opportunity to continue their work at any time. So I think it's going to be a really tough adjustment to ask a lot of those students to come back to a seven to two, eight to four, sit in a classroom, change classes kind of environment. Um, so that's kind of like one of the first big challenges that, that I think about, particularly for um, high school students who go to Title I schools. Um, I think in this pandemic, we were essentially forced as educators to elevate our tech skills um, to become inventive with how we relay content to students. So I think there's a really great opportunity here for schools and districts to address the inequity in education by leveraging the virtual, the hybrid teaching that we've been using and crafting this past year to become a staple in our classrooms so that students, no matter where they are or at, you know what their attendance is, they can still access that work and still display their growth and not feel like they're falling really, really behind, especially as they adjust to school again. You know, I, I feel like going to class is a habit that you do f- since kindergarten, and they've been out of that habit for almost two years. So supporting them in that 
in that, you know, picking up that habit again. We come to class, we sit, we work. And so really leveraging the the tech skills that we've learned this year to transition them back in. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, I, I joke that it, the past year and year and a half almost has been a baptism by fire, really, yes. in terms of our, our tech skills as educators. And, you know, many educators have come to the modern classroom instructional model during this time. Others, uh, it wasn't COVID at all that that brought us to this instructional model. But I think regardless of how we found kind of blended self-paced learning, the pandemic only exacerbated the need for it. And we're, our skills aren't going anywhere as educators. And I think our kids' skills, you know, they're a lot more comfortable. I think there's always this assumption, you know, that, oh, kids are young, they're techie. Uh, they, we don't have to teach them how to, you know, log into the LMS or find this or that or send a professional email because they're always on their phones 24-7. And yeah, they might, you know, be confident on their phones, um, but they still could use our support with the digital literacy component, which is basic navigational skills um, on their learning management system and uh, other tools in our classrooms we use. And they've gotten a lot better at that too yes. in the last year. And that those skills aren't going anywhere. Yeah. So I agree. We kind of have this opportunity right now as we rethink our spaces to, to make our schools more equitable, to remember parents, and kids, you know, whole families have really been going through it, uh, you know, for quite some time. And I think that we have an opportunity now, like you say, to, to leverage our tech skills uh, to create more equitable learning environments and, you know, give kids a chance. Yeah, it was it was really interesting to see um, just like the, the tech skills that my students did come in with at the beginning of the pandemic. I spent a lot of time teaching how to control fine, control cut and control paste. And like a lot of teachers, like, how do you, how do you not know this? You're always on your phone, but it is a different skill. You know, like I'm on my phone crafting and creating videos, not, you know, learning how to use digital tools to be able to read an article and decipher content. So yeah, I, I think we, we would be fools not to leverage that skill as students, you know, transition back into the classroom and really work to support them now in using these new skills to be able to master their content. Yeah. Yeah. So when teachers transition to self-paced learning, you know, our questions around classroom setup and systems, I always think they become even more important to think through. I'm a firm believer that we, there's so much that we can do before students even walk in the classroom space to help um, to help make them feel safe and welcomed and to help make learning more accessible and also to minimize um, some behaviors that could distract themselves and others from learning. So I'm a firm believer that, you know, we want effectively designed and thought through spaces and systems so students can maximize the time spent learning in our classrooms. We don't want them to spend cost trying to find the notes for a certain lesson or trying to find out where they turn their mastery check uh, in. So Debbie and I are going to talk through some of the questions that are important for teachers to ask themselves when setting up their own modern classrooms. And you know, we'll offer some ideas from our own classrooms and what we've seen in other classrooms. So let's start out by talking about the materials students need to access in order to be successful in a modern classroom and some systems for retrieving or submitting those items. So as you work with modern classrooms, teachers, what do you think are the necessary materials for teachers to have on hand in their modern classroom? 
One of the biggest uh, materials that I think about, this is not necessarily for students, but I think for teachers as they're kind of crafting their classroom management, you know, we're going to have so many students who are on different paces in that lesson or in that unit, um, I think is a clipboard with student names and where they are on the tracker so that as you walk around, you kind of have that clipboard to check in on their progress and make yourself a little note. You know, the tracker is being shown up front, but having that clipboard right there and then to kind of walk around, put a little check, a little X is going to be really, really key and crucial. I think, at least I've used this in my classroom, to be able to quickly check in with students and spend a little longer with the students who need more of your time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I echo that completely. I also think that it's handy as you're welcoming students in, I always like to kind of stand outside my classroom door a bit. So I couldn't always see the tracker. Right. Um, And it could be really handy in terms of how I would greet students. So it could be nice to congratulate them for making their way through, you know, that lesson last time or, you know, I, Hey, you know, I know I didn't have a chance to grade your mastery check before we left, but I did it. And nice job. You're advancing to the next one. Like, keep it up. Uh, things like that. I, I agree. I think that, you know, the, while the tracker, if you opt to use a public progress tracker is really helpful for students in terms of obviously clarity, motivation, collaboration. It's sometimes nice to have our own, our own records as well. Yeah. With, with just little notes, like you said, you know, so that when students come in they're they're being greeted with the quick tip and note that they need to kind of get class started. Yeah. Yep. I, it's funny because I, I posed this question to a few of the modern classroom mentors and I, I thought it was interesting how I think I, I think I asked six or seven and I kept, you know, getting headphones, invest in headphones, um, headphones that won't break immediately. Think through your headphone storage as kind of an advice for supplies. And, you know, I think, yes, some of our students will bring their own headphones, but things to consider, of course, is that oftentimes our school laptops or Chromebooks or tablets, whatever we're using, those might not be compatible with the student headphones without an adapter. And a lot of our students maybe have newer AirPods uh, that are only work through Bluetooth devices. And they might get a little frustrated then if they say, well, my headphones won't work and we don't have other backup headphones. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. And another thing that I, when I asked the mentors was this idea of, you know, of, uh, I kept on hearing file folders too, like (laughs) file folders in terms of, uh, putting them in a milk crate and that being a handy way, hanging file folders as a handy way to keep mastery checks separate. And, uh, as well as, um, hanging, file folders in milk crates for traveling teachers, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah, it's also great just to have for, I mean, tech issues happen all the time. My school has lost Wi-Fi once or twice, and I will always print out paper copies of digital resources for students or for my students with um, IEPs or 504s who need to kind of write on paper before they submit the assignment on um, our school's LMS. So I actually did keep um, a file folder with paper digital copies. And my aspire to do, I used to have an iPod, uh, iPod touch, once again, dating myself here, that (laughs) I would record read alouds, um, because sometimes my, my sped teacher would have to go to different meetings. And so I would record the read aloud of the paper copy and like put it in the file folder as well. So students can take it and put the headphones on and work on that paper copy. So yeah, 
That is such a great idea. I love that one. You know, it's funny because in the time back before COVID, one of the, I would I would perhaps not a necessary material, but a really, really nice thing to have on hand was headphone splitters. Um, so it's, it's funny because you talk about like dating yourselves, you know, now so many of our headphones are, are wireless, but um, headphone splitters were great things in my classroom that I would use if I wanted students or if students themselves wanted to go through an instructional video at the same time. Uh, so you could have you know two kids easily set up through headphones, of course, with with cords um, fed into the headphone splitter. We, you know, depending on social distancing protocols that might not work for this fall, uh, of course, depending on, you know, the age group of students and vaccination status. Um, but I think, you know, if, if and when we are able to sit closer in our schools once together again, headphones splitters just can be a really, another really nice resource. Oh, I love that. And it facilitates collaboration, you know, so if you're, yep. if you're sitting next to a classmate and you're not quite sure what the check for understanding question is, you have someone to think pair share with. Oh, I love headphone splitters. Yeah. And it was also nice because sometimes you'd have perhaps a student who was really struggling to, at the beginning of the year, um, to adjust to a self-paced setting and kind of to adjust to some of the freedom that an instructional video can provide this idea that we can pause and rewind our teacher, you know, well, that does not mean that we can pause our teacher to go watch YouTube. Um, We're not going to get through much if we do, if we do that, but pairing um, a student who might be struggling with the, with the shift with a student who is doing really well could kind of help model for the student. Hey, you know, this isn't so bad. We, you know, we get the video and the notes done in a good, you know, 10, 15 minutes and we move on to the next thing. Um, it, it was, it was, it was kind of powerful peer modeling. Yeah. Another thing that I really liked to do in my classroom, again, another, I would say nice, perhaps not necessary material for my modern classroom, um, was, I, you know, I've said this so many times, but I really loved my instructional nest, which was where I sat. I found that I could serve more students and I could serve students faster if I was the one staying put, um, uh, you know, that was not me being lazy. Um, <laughs> it was not, but it, I just, I, I found that, you know, when I started the, my first year doing modern classrooms, when I was up, you know, going to table to table and helping students and then this student needed a master check. Like, okay, I'm coming back. And then you need help. I'm coming. You know, I, it kind of felt like a game of whack-a-mole that I was never winning. Um, and I was just ping-ponging around the classroom. I, I, it got better, frankly, when I said, all right, uh, I'm going to sit relatively close to where I administer mastery checks uh, and students can come to me to submit those and they can come to me with questions. Um, and with that table, I covered it in adhesive whiteboard. Um, and I learned a couple things. One, that you can't cheap out on the adhesive whiteboard. <laughs> I had to put like, I had to spend a little, little extra money for the, the, the more quality stuff with good reviews. Um, and it stayed on my table for two and a half years. Um, it, was, oh, wow. it was great. Yeah. And so that I naturally had this instructional aid close by. I could always keep markers here and okay, let me just, you know, let's, 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 let me explain this concept again, you know, and I could draw it out or, um, uh, even the student could could kind of practice. But I also found that was so interesting was that some of my learners who, 
you know, school had been really hard and they had internalized, internalized a lot of feelings of failure. Um, perhaps they were students who received special education services. Perhaps they were just students who didn't feel successful in social studies. Um, I found that for whatever reason, if I gave them the marker, the whiteboard marker and said, well, why don't you do your mastery check here? Just write, just write what you would write on the, on the mastery check, but just write it on the whiteboard. Some of that fear dissipated. Um, and I was kind of able to get kids working and moving in ways that I was seeing just a little bit more work avoidance or shut down all because of a whiteboard. I wonder if it's just the act of like having that, it's not a pencil, right? So like you tie pencils in with ugh, work, but it's a dry erase marker. It's like, oh, I'm a leader. Teachers, yeah. <laughs> teachers have dry erase markers. Yeah. Like I'm so powerful right now. Let me show you what I know with my dry erase marker. I want, yeah. I was like, is it, is it because it's, it's, it is, it's something that the teacher usually does. Is it a lack of permanence? You know, even because, you know, you can eh, erase it with your sleeve, you know, grab an eraser and it's gone. Um, whereas, you know, we might not be able to get all the, you know, we can't get pen out, but you might not be able to get all the pencil out on the mastery check. I wasn't sure, but um, it had some, it had multiple benefits in, in my classroom. So that would be, that would be one of those, one of those things that I would definitely would recommend. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have a whiteboard um, adhesive in my instructional nest, which now I'm like, okay, bookmark for... Yes. <laughs> you know, for later. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I've gotten so many ideas on this podcast. Trust me. I, as I talk, as I talk to teachers, I'm like, and I'm storing that away yes. for when I go back to the classroom. Great idea. Okay. Yep. Yeah, you were saying, yeah. I'm down little notes for myself here. I, I, um, I shared a classroom with, um, this in the, for the past three years, April Williamson, shout out to Ms. Williamson. <laughs> oh, another modern classroom mentor. Yeah. Greatest co-teacher to share a room with ever. But her and I kind of created this um, oasis for lack of a better term. We bought with our classroom budget, um, a bunch of tall fake trees from Amazon. Oh, nice. And like kind of created this little, little corner where kids wanted to work. Um, you know, they're like, can I, can I go sit? In, in the tree area. I'm like, yeah, let's all go sit in the tree area. You know, we're all working on this assignment together. And, you know, I would kind of hang out there mostly during my class time and I would keep little candy stickers. I used a lot of stamps. I stamped a lot of work as a, as a visual for me that I kind of peruse this, this looks on the right track stamp. I, you know, I'll take a look at this a little more later. And, um, and so I kept that near my little oasis where students sat to kind of give quick, little prizes, you know, like, oh, you really challenged yourself. Here's a sticker or, you know, here's this, you know, I'm going to stamp this. I want you to take a look at this and do it again. And, and yeah, that, that was my little corner of where kids felt more confident and powerful to, to really display what, what they know or ask questions away from maybe some other peers. Yes. And I, space can absolutely be a motivator like that. I, I was in a elementary modern classroom in May and one of the teachers did the coolest thing. I think it was a second grade classroom. Um, and she had a little tent set up in the back where students could go in and work together in this tent. Um, I've also seen teachers do cool things like an on, an on pace or a head of pace lounge, you know, um, like I, I love it when we create these spaces that, make students feel more motivated or more confident or even are a little private in some cases. Um, I think that those are, those are really powerful. 
a little VIP style lounge. Yeah. I like that for the aspire to do. The kids want to. It's almost like a club. You're like, I really want to get in. Please help me get in. Club aspire to do. Yeah. Club aspire to do. I love that. Yeah. Um, so let's start talking about kind of the, the more systems elements about, I would say systems where students can access, submit items, um, different things we've seen. And uh, starting with notes or class practice, if teachers opt to do those on paper, I was always, and you know, I, I, I continue to believe that there's great value in having students take notes um, to an instructional video on paper. Um, I've seen different things in classrooms in terms of how teachers have set this up. Um, Debbie, do you want to talk about what, what you've seen? Yeah, I've definitely, well, you know, pre-pandemic when we had access to a variety of both paper and digital tools. I know in my classroom, um, I kept all of my paperwork for the day that students may need um, at the door. Um, so I had a long table by the door that students can kind of crowd around and grab their papers for the day. And when students need to submit their work, I had two trays that they could submit their work in. The I'm catching up tray which was late work that, you know, I would still grade for full credit and the due today tray. So any assignment that was due that day or maybe later on. And it was just a, a quick and easy way for students to be able to grab what they needed and submitted what they needed. And next to the folder where they picked up their papers, there was leftover papers where students can grab anything they may, might have lost um, from, you know, weeks prior. Yeah, I really like that, that I'm catching up, Ben. And that's a little easier for you then to keep track because I know, you know, we've we've talked about on the podcast before, I think when Moira Amazi was on, we talked about um, printing mastery checks on different colored paper because as we're, you know, scanning that turn in bin as teachers, it's kind of like, oh, I'm looking, for, what's this, what's this, what's the, you know, it feels like half the work is sorting sometimes. Um, yes. But I really like this idea of, you know, these are, this is, you know, late, quote, late work that I need to grade. And this is work that, uh, you know, uh, will inform perhaps what the student's doing tomorrow and, I, and on time work and um, different categories of my grade book here. Um, I like that. Yeah. And it, I know it helps me prioritize my time too. My, at the end of the day, I want to be able to grade the stuff in the I'm catching up tray so that I can update the grade book so students can see their progress. Like, look, you turned it in. You're Grades are improving, your mastery checks are improving, the pacer is moving forward. And the do today tray, I'm like, well, if I don't get to it today, I can get to it in the morning. Um, so it just really, really helps. You know, educators, we have so much on our plate just with reducing the, the workload and the stress, especially with time management. Yeah, completely agree. I've I've seen teachers do interesting things. Um, I've seen, you know, obviously stackable trays, you know, one tray per lesson, or I should say uh, a stack of trays per lesson. So it might have notes in the first tray and then directly underneath it might have a class practice piece. And that's kind of, you know, that's where lesson 6.1 is. And then right next to that is 6.2, uh, you know, with similar stackable trays. I've also seen teachers take bulletin boards and then just take apart simple folders and staple the back of the folder to the bulletin board. And then student and students can grab things, you know, out of the folder on the bulletin board. Um, and I know that those, again, milk crates with the hanging file folders that can be handy, um, if, you know, if your students can definitely navigate uh, that system and pocket charts, which, you know, we use for, I feel like what teacher doesn't love a, a hanging pocket chart, right? <laughs> my mom, my mom was a teacher and I, I remember so many hanging pocket charts from her classroom, but I think that those are all 
some cool things that I, I've seen, I've seen modern classroom teachers do to, to help, you know, to help store and help students access things like notes. Yes. Uh, another cool thing that I've seen is um, I've, I've seen teachers kind of structure their classrooms. So they had a, um, like a video station. And so there'd be extra chargers would be over there. Headphones would be over there. Um, and, you know, so students can kind of sit there with their laptop and work on any video assignment. So whether it be instructional videos or supplementary resources like um, watching, um, you know, the Amoeba Sisters, you know, I teach science, so watching the Amoeba Sisters and, you know, answer these questions on the paper. Uh, it's really cool to see them structure that classroom setup so that students, you know, kind of remove the excuses. Oh, well, my laptop's dead. Oh, here, what kind of charger do you need? Exactly, exactly. It's already bolted to the table, so you just need to plug it in, you know? Yeah, and yeah, and kind of on that on that point, like, it, it, you know, devices, we haven't talked about it much, but these are necessary objects in a modern classroom, and we do need to think through, you know, helpful ways to store and charge them. Um, as well as the headphone storage, uh, you know, cause I, I'm one of the, the most ridiculous things I did early on in teaching is I would just put the headphones in, um, in a milk crate and oh my goodness, the rat's nest of headphone cords that I would need to go through. I had a, I had a student maybe per class who would come up from lunch a little bit earlier just to unsort the headphones. Yes. Oh, God bless that student. <laughs> I mean, the TAs really did a lot of the grunt work for me. Like, <laughs> thank you, my aspire to do students who are ahead of pace and have the time to do this. Yes, we, we that your your teachers very much appreciate you. Um, I I did get I did get wiser. Um, I used 3M stick-on hooks. Uh, uh, just thought I had a I had a rather large classroom, so I had the wall space where I could do that. Um, but I've also seen people do like um, kind of those over the over the door shoe holders. Oh yeah, um, I've seen people put headphones in there, which I think was a really good idea. And um, I've also seen people do the you know put them in a bin or a milk crate, but they do it more manageably than I was doing it. You know, I had the whole class would put them in the milk crate. Um, this is kind of, uh, we have a crate at each cluster or table, you know, so you're only dealing with four or five pairs of headphones in one, um, makes that a little more manageable, uh, than the class set of 30. <laughs> oh, cause that's what I was doing. I was definitely putting them in just a large bin. And I tried the Ziploc bag, you know, like number the headphones, number the Ziploc bags, but over time, you know, I, I teach high school students so that they tear at the Ziploc bag and, doesn't hold anything anymore. So they just toss it into the bin and, you know, you think to yourself, I'll replace the bag, but it never gets replaced. Oh yeah. 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 I'll, I, I love the things that I, I think I'm, I love the things that, you know, like September Ms. Gaskell thinks that February Ms. Gaskell is going to keep doing, <laughs> but I've learned to just kind of build the systems manageable from the start. Yes. Because we give ourselves a lot of credit. We're like, well, I'll, I'll have this done definitely by March. And by March, you're just like, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about mastery checks, Debbie. I think given the importance that mastery checks play in a modern classroom, we use these to determine if a student has authentically learned material and if they are ready to meaningfully engage with subsequent skills or content. 
we need to ensure that our students are completing the mastery checks independently. You know, we don't we don't think the worst in our kids. We're not assuming that a student is going to cheat or, you know, going to try to use an instructional aid, their phone or a peer. Um, but, you know, again, we do place so much emphasis on the mastery check. So I think, you know, it we, we can breathe easier throughout the school year if we just begin by setting up you know, routines and procedures uh, that foster the independent and completion of a mastery check. Um, so what do you think are some setup options teachers can do around the mastery checks? Yeah, I my mastery checks, we used Canvas as our LMS. So my students, um, we were a one-to-one school, so they all had access to their own personal laptops. Um, and so all of my, well, majority of my mastery checks were on Canvas. For me, it was really great to have those mastery checks on Canvas because I put a code on all of the mastery check, which then they would have to check in with me before attempting the mastery check. I think one of the greatest routines a teacher can do around mastery check is incorporating some kind of check-in before students uh, you know, do their first attempt. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of students who just kind of like, they want to rush and get the work done. And, you know, when they check in with me and I give them a few verbal quick checks, looking at their practice assignments, you know, they're not ready, you know, and I let them know if you take this attempt, I don't think you're really, you know, showcasing what you really know, take a breath, take your time, redo this practice assignment, come back, check in with me again, and then take your first attempt. So I think one of the greatest routines a teacher can incorporate into their classroom day is having a time to check in with students before their first attempt. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. Reminds me actually of a science teacher who I got to work with for many years. Tanika Jackson would do, would do something similar. Just that, that face-to-face time before a mastery check. Yes. My, my students in particular love to rush because for them, it was less about the mastery check and more about the tracker. They loved seeing the tracker move forward. So they wanted to like finish the lesson so they could take the mastery check so they can be ahead of pace. They love seeing the bright green ahead of pace. And I'm like, well, buddy, if you take this mastery check, it's going to be revised and it's, it's not going to be as pretty. So let's, let's take our time. And that, that check-in time really, really, really helped. I think slow some of my students down to really own that content on that knowledge so that they can show me what they have learned in this lesson. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important that we, you know, we're building the expectation with students that a mastery check is, is different. Of course we can revise this. Of course we can try again, but you know, we, this is where we show what we know. Um, so let's do it. Let's do a good job on it. Um, one thing that I did in my room I had paper mastery checks. I did like a half sheet generally. And on the front, I would do a couple questions relating to historical or historic content that we were learning. Kind of, I think what everybody thinks social studies education is, where it's just, we are learning new content. There's no skills here. It's just names and dates. And, you know, it's a little more complex than that, as my social studies listeners can tell you. Um, And at the back uh, was social studies or historical skills, corroboration, contextualization, citing sources, etc. So I I like to check each um, relating to a task that we were doing in that lesson. And I would have, I had a 
I kind of had my instructional nest table with the whiteboard and then further down so I could still see, but just still in the center of the classroom, I um, covered a table or in with a tablecloth to kind of des- designate the space is special. Um, I've seen other educators use like lights or, you know, just things that say like, this is the mastery check place. Um, it's unique. Ideally, you know, we're, there's no talking at this table just to ensure that we are completing our mastery check independently. Um, I kept my mastery checks in a milk crate next to me for two reasons. One was that I could have a conversation with students before. Uh, and two was that I found that when I, when I kept them out, that some students might, I like to say kind of like preview the mastery check um, and then say like, oh, if I only need to know this, 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 and this, uh, this is going to, you know, obviously impact how I do the class practice or how I watch the instructional video. Um, So I started getting higher quality work from students when I kept those private. Um, And then I could also, because cell phones sometimes were a bit of a problem with my high schoolers, my school didn't necessarily have a strong across the board cell phone policy. Um, If a student, you know, if, if the phone was a problem and if we'd established this and if they'd had reminders, one thing I could do is I could trade them their phone for the mastery check. You know, I would keep their phone in a clear plastic bin. They could see it, but it just wasn't on their person while they were taking the mastery check. Oh, and it and it, removing the phone, I feel like, does also a really great job at forcing them to focus. You know, you don't have that constant distraction. What's the time? Oh, who just texted me? And that's something that I've seen a lot of other teachers um, do as well, is removing that phone to help them really focus on the next 10 minutes on completing the mastery check and then turning it in. Then here you go. In that too, I've, I've also seen some teachers dedicate a set like time during the class period. So, you know, we don't take mastery checks in the first 15 minutes of class. We're doing announcements. We're doing quick reviews. We're um, kind of checking in um, with the tracker and seeing what we need to get done today versus this week. I mean, I think adding that structure um, in class of, hey, first 15 minutes, this is what we're doing. We're aligning ourselves for the day. Really, I mean, and, and I, you know, it depends on your classroom culture too. So, you know, when you want to do mastery checks, but I think having that set dedicated time of when or, you know, when you cannot do mastery check is really going to help students with their time management. Yes. And checking in with you as well. Completely, completely agree. And, you know, for me, mastery checks were something that you needed to do in class as well. Of course, uh, barring for very unique circumstances, you know, if a kid is out on medical leave or if a family is really going through a tough time, you know, you're going to work with them and, you know, the mastery checks can go home in those circumstances. Um, But I would generally say, you know, you can do every other aspect of the lesson outside of class, uh, but the mastery checks do need to be done in here. Um, And I would, I would also hang on to mastery checks until the end of the unit, Um, or at least until certain lessons within a unit had closed. Um, And then I would give those back um, for test review or for to be used as we were preparing a project or writing an essay. Um, I think that's another thing teachers are going to want to think through as they're they're thinking about what classroom space am I going to use for mastery checks? Uh, What am I doing, uh, again, to just to secure um, academic integrity? Uh, throughout the unit when it comes to these mastery checks. I did something similar with, um, on my LMS side, I would hide the right answers. So students can see 
how many questions you know they got correct, but they weren't allowed to see the right answers. Um, which then, you know, if they earned, you know, like a three out of 10, we would sit down together, we would go over the questions that were incorrect, and they would take another attempt with a different set of questions. So I think hiding the correct answers, because then they'll just memorize the answers and know, oh, it was B, and I'll just click B the next time. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with um, letting them see the right answer, like later on in the unit, so they can use that for review. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, Let's shift a bit to an extremely important aspect of our classroom design, and that's accessibility. You know, how can we set up our classroom space so the classroom features and materials are accessible for all students? Do you have any thoughts on this point? Oh, yes. I, you know, I worked in a school, I've worked in two different sets of schools. I've worked in one school that had, you know, a dedicated science classroom, labs, the space. And I've also worked in schools where it was just a regular schmegular classroom that I was now crafting to become a science space. Um, And so that was the last classroom that I worked in. And, you know, when your classroom is geared for 15 students and you have 25 and they're all six foot five. Yeah. You know, classroom space and classroom features are going to be so important to allow students to be able to get to everything that they need to support them for the day, but also without distracting and disturbing every other student on the way to that resource. And so, you know, in my classroom, I try to put everything towards the walls, you know, the the outer walls and the windows. You know, that space was always a clear shot to get to. Um, and if possible, I tried to have two spaces with maybe the same specific materials so that all of my students weren't crowding around the same table. So, um, for example, I had two big windows with really deep ledges, um, one left, one right. And on both windows, you could get pencils, a sharpener, glue sticks, scissors, colored pencils. And so there was two separate ways that you can get it so that I didn't have 30 students in one window. You could go to the other one and really space it out. So. Yeah, one of the biggest things in setting up your classroom is how can students access everything without disturbing everyone Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on the way there? Um, And also to just, um, you know, as teachers, we repeat ourselves all the time, every day. You say the same thing all the time. And I would create little colorful signs of where you can find things in my room so that I could just point to it. Because I find that my students like to ask me as I was, you know, actively teaching. So where can I get a glue? And I would just point to the supply sign, just got this big, colorful sign. So, you know, having those little signs for students, um, you know, especially the visual students is also going to make your classroom space that much more accessible. So these kids can just look up. Oh, OK. Resources are here. Oh, paperwork. Old paperwork is here. Oh, the turn in trays are over here. Let me go to that space and turn in whatever it is that I need to turn in. Yeah. And that's so good for students who are perhaps, you know, joining us mid-year as well. We want them to feel welcome in the classroom as an accessible space that's just as much theirs, even though they maybe weren't with us on day one. I, I also think that it, it's good for students who are, you know, learning, learning the English language. Um, and this can help with their vocabulary retention. We hear about things like, of course, instructional aids and word walls, but I think it's also really helpful to just post things like the bell schedule, you know, where the supplies are, you know, just another sign, turn in bins, um, you know, to, to, to kind of enhance, enhance their 
knowledge of the classroom, um, but just also, you know, familiarity with the language as well. Um, you know, it's interesting this last year while working for Modern Classrooms, I've been working towards my special education certification in Washington, D.C., and I got some really interesting suggestions as I was, you know, preparing um, for that certification. And one of the things that they talked about, of course, is, you know, uh, of course, working with a school or district special education coordinators set up any of those text to speech or speech to text or audio amplification tools. Um, but things also like, uh, you know, considering our fonts in classrooms, you know, there are fonts that are better for students with dyslexia. Um, there are fonts that are going to be a little bit better for students with visual impairments. Um, and that was something that I had not thought of until, until I was working more closely with special education. And another thing that I can't wait to take back to the classroom to make my classroom more accessible for, for learners is kind of a, kind of like you had your oasis that you were talking about you in April. I, you know, I can't wait to have like a place that's kind of like, yes, you know, take a break, reset with a, with a take a break kit. You know, as I was doing some of our research for trauma-informed teaching, one thing that I was reading about is, you know, really we can, you know, we see all the time breaks written into 504 plans or IEPs, and we can really strengthen these, this idea of the break um, by encouraging students to change the channel in their minds, you know, so rather than, take a break and sit in silence, you know, um, uh, or, or take a break and fill out a behavior reflection. You know, this isn't the right moment for that. We kind of, we want to turn the channel so the kid isn't ruminating on, you know, the current stressor or even, you know, something, something really unpleasant. Um, so for, you know, secondary students that can be writing the alphabet backwards or counting all the green things in the room, uh, trivia questions for younger kids, this can be a, you know, find the picture act activity or even a recorded story. And, you know, as much as we can include sensory tools or encourage movement um, or tactile interaction in our take a break kit, um, that's something that I think, you know, when I when I build my classroom again, uh, that I'm, I'm definitely going to include to make it more accessible. And that's and that I, I really love the idea of the take a break kit, because you also think about just what a school day entails, right? Especially as these students are transitioning back, you're moving from room to room and you're dealing with different adults, especially if you're six through 12. So, you know, Ms. Jenkins may have different classroom structures than, you know, Mr. Thomas. And, you know, so now you're trying to remember all the things that you need to turn in for the day, you know, who does what in their classroom. And sometimes it can be overwhelming and, and you need to take a quick five minute break just to readjust and kind of clear your brain and start fresh. So I love the idea of the take a break kit because it, it really can be overwhelming, especially if it's the last period of the day. You're like, I've had a long day. <laughs> I just, I can't. Yep. We used to call them um, fifth period fireworks because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know? we were we were a block schedule at my school. So fifth period was the last um, period of the day and fifth period fireworks. They do happen. Yes. <laughs> and I always felt bad for whatever fifth period teacher received my fourth period teacher because my fourth period students were also a little sluggish. And I would just start handing out little candy. I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> this is going to kick in next period. <laughs> so actually, my, my last question um, uh, Debbie, did you always have your own classroom? Or it sounds like you and April shared for at least one year, right? Yeah. So April and I shared for three years. And then I shared with another amazing STEM teacher, Ms. Jenny Lee. Um, so I've always shared a classroom. 
And I would say that I've always had great experiences sharing a classroom. One of the um, big things that I, you know, I cannot stress enough is having that preschool year check-in with whoever you're sharing a classroom with. Um, And so April and I and Jenny and I, we would always meet during that teacher PD week and talk about what are some big things we want in our classroom? You know, what do you want? What do I want? How are we going to store that? You know, what kind of things do we want to do when kids come in, when kids leave? So how can we structure that so that we can both use this space together? And so having that, you know, preschool year conversation about how much space we would each need and storage really helped us share that classroom um, a lot. I mean, it's to the point where students were confused about whether Jenny and April were my co-teachers or, you know, did like, why are they always here? Because they would sit in the back of the classroom and work and, you know, kind of get the stuff that they would need. But they would also, you know, walk around the room. The kids knew their names. It was just a seamless sharing of space, um, all because we, we really just sat down and discussed what we need and what our workflow is going to look like and created a plan to make that happen. Yeah. I think that communication and especially, you know, before the school year starts and kind of indicating what's important um, for each teacher is really important. Um, and then we also have, you know, modern classrooms teachers who they, they travel to various classrooms on a cart and I, I found some of their suggestions to be really helpful. Um, a woman who I taught with for several years, Bernadette Desario, who I adore, she talks about being a teacher who moves rooms. Again, the milk crate with the hanging file folders is just so important. Um, she says that she labels the folders like lessons one through 10 and then just swaps out the papers at the start of every unit. Um, and that that has been clutch for her on the cart. And another thing that she says is that when she has to move a lot, having a card table. Oh. That she will just kind of, you know, lightweight, of course, that she can kind of put on the side of the cart. And she also covers it in, um, in like the adhesive whiteboard. And then she has a whiteboard. She has a place where students can work, um, work with her, work together, no matter that classroom that she's entering. I loved that. You know, I think floater teachers are the heroes we, we don't talk enough about. I mean, I just, you have six periods in a day and you essentially have a mobile classroom that you have to take with you from room to room to room. And truly, floater teachers, you guys are the heroes we don't talk enough about. I, you know, and to add on to what you said about Miss Desario, um, you know, there was a teacher named Wendy Healy. She kind of talks about how she has a cart and um, she color codes her cart by class and by material. So all of her note sheets were in a yellow folder. Mastery checks were in a green folder, but they would be in a purple folder, which signified that's her first period class. And so students learned early on in the school year. I'm the purple folder and we need, we need notes. Okay. So in the purple folder, I'm going to go in the yellow folder and take this. And she really leveraged the colors as well as some, uh, couple students as well. So students, you know, knew their role of like, Oh, well, it's my job to grab the folders and, you know, hand out things and put things here in this class to support my fellow peers in grabbing what they need. Uh, and so I really loved that as well. A quick visual reminder for yourself of what paper goes where in what folder. Because it could be, you know, overwhelming sometimes when you're like, wait, what What room is this? Where are we? What students am I teaching right now? What What time of the day is it even? Yeah. And as much ownership as you can, as you can give to students. And I love that idea of having like 
almost like the leaders within that section who can who can help their peers remember, you know, oh, yeah, we are the purple folder. Oh, yes, notes are in the yellow. Uh, I really love that. See, this is this is the thing. Whenever I talk about classroom design, I'm always like, man, so many ideas, so many ideas to steal. <laughs> we um, could talk about this for an hour more, but listeners, we will um, we will let you go. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. We're doing uh, we're working hard to make sure that the episodes leading up to school, the school year beginning, um, are particularly relevant and address some frequently asked questions. Um, but please don't hesitate to reach out to us um, using the Ask MCP link that we'll put in the show notes. Um, Debbie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a true joy just to chat about how we can create a space for students to transition back as we start to head towards the fall. Yeah, yeah. Exciting days ahead. Um, Thank you also to you, the listener. Uh, We'll be back next week. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org and you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students in schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Podcast.